So we are going through the book of Revelation this morning, and uh, we are going through this. We're in Revelation chapter 2, and we're going to cover the church of Smyrna, and we're going to cover the church of Pergamos. Smyrna was the Revelation chapter 2, verse 8 through 11. Revelation 2, 8 through 11, 8 through 11. And the angel of the church in Smyrna write, The things say the first and the last, who was dead and came to life. Guess who that was? I know your works, tribulation, and poverty, but you are rich. And I know your blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not. But of synagogue of Satan. Do not fear of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And you will have tribulation ten days, but be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Father, we pray that you bless this time and open our ears now to your word in Jesus' name. Revelation chapter 2, verse 8. To the angel, a messenger, some say it's the pastor, of the church of Smyrna, write, These things are first and the last, who was dead and came to life. The name Smyrna means bitter. And it's related to the word myrrh. The city remains a functional uh, community today called Izmir, or modern-day Turkey. Uh, the assembly there at Smyrna was persecuted for their faith, which explains why the Lord emphasized his death and his resurrection as he opens this message. He said he was the first and the last who was dead and came to life. So the Lord is identifying with them. Smyrna was persecuted. It was a persecuted church. So Christ re reminds them of his own suffering and of his own death. But he also wants them to realize that they serve a risen Christ to encourage them. He was, he was dead and alive. He was dead. He died for our sins. He rose again for our justification, and he will never die again. And now he's making intercessions for you and I. By his death, he purchased your salvation and mine. When we were enemies of him, of the cross, he reconciled us by his death. Much more, he will reconcile us by his life. So, so these things are first and the last. You keep, we keep reading that. And we said last time, the first and the last, that means he's eternal. He doesn't work in our time frame. He works outside of time. I'm trying to wrap my little brain around that. The first and the last. He's eternal. From whom, from whom all things come. And to whom all things must return, which was dead 
in a life forevermore. The first and the last means he had no beginning and he had no end. And he was not created like a lot of the cults say, oh, he was somehow created at some point in some time. No, he always was. He always will. Before him, there was none. And after him, there will be no more ever like him, never like this one. But I'm trying to think, you know, the, how could anything not have a beginning and an end? So I, I no one, I was, and I read Proverbs 3, and it says, don't lean to your own understanding. Now, man, you might understand that. How could anything not have a beginning and not have an ending? I have a beginning to do everything, and I have a time to end everything. But since God is eternal, and he always was, he's the beginning and the end. Wow. But anyway, the... Because the Lord found no complaints with these churches, with this church at Smyrna and Philadelphia, these two churches, Smyrna and Philadelphia, uh, every sentence that he speaks to these suffering congregations offers encouragement and it offers comfort. I think every believer now can offer encouragement and offer comfort. If I'm not encouraging someone, and if I'm not comforting someone, I got to stop and examine my own walk with Christ. We are salt. We are light. This is our time to shine as believers. The church in Smyrna represents the period in church history from A.D. 100 to A.D. 312. Again, the word smyrna comes from the word myrrh, you know, a frankincense released only by being crushed. You know, at Christ's birth, Jesus was, was uh, uh, presented. Jesus was presented with gold. He was presented with frankincense and myrrh. Gold was for a king, frankincense for a priest, but myrrh was a burial spice used as a perfume and often for embalming dead, dead bodies. The church in Smyrna struggled against hostile forces. A Jewish population strongly opposed Christianity, and non-Jewish population that was loyal to Rome and supported emperor worship. So persecution and suffering was inevitable in an environment like this. Smyrna was a poor, persecuted church located in a very beautiful city of wealth and commercial greatness. Smyrna was about 35 miles uh, north, of, north of Ephesus. But he said in verse 9, he said, chapter 2, verse 9, he says, I know your works. You know God knows your works. God knows what you do for him. God knows what you don't do for him. He says, I know your works. And he's not going to forget anything that you do for the cause of Christ. He's not going to forget that. Now, he's going to reward us for it, too. And we don't deserve any rewards, but he's going to give us rewards. 
I know your work, tribulation, not the great tribulation, talking about suffering. I know your work, tribulation, and poverty, but you are rich, and I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not. But he said they are the synagogue of Satan. The tribulation here mentioned he's suffering, the affliction. They were stripped probably of all temporal possessions because of their faith. He said, but you guys are rich. The Lord proclaimed them spiritually rich. They were rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom of Christ. The church at Smyrna was not having an easy time of this at all. The members were persecuted probably because they refused to say Caesar is Lord. If you refuse to say Caesar is Lord, you were persecuted. Smyrna was an important city of Roman emperor cult and anyone refuses to acknowledge that, G that Caesar was Lord was excluded from society. This, this would mean the Christian was unemployed, they would lose their jobs, and they possessed absolutely nothing materially. But Jesus said, you guys are rich in the kingdom. There's a lot of people going to be rich here materially and going to be paupers in heaven. And there's a lot of people like this church, they were poor, they didn't have much, any possessions, but Jesus said, you guys are rich in the kingdom of God. And that's what's going to matter the most. But they were persecuted because of their faith. See, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but with the enemy, Satan is the enemy. Satan wants us to focus on flesh and blood. He wants us to focus on individuals. He said, these guys say they're Jews, but they, you know what? They're the synagogue of Satan. Uh, Satan uses people to accomplish his purposes. Satan would never do any damage unless he had an individual to work through. As the Holy Spirit needs a vessel to work through, so, so does Satan. The Jewish synagogue was actually, he said, was a synagogue of Satan. A true Jew is not one physically or radically, but spiritually. In a religious group, Jew or Gentile, that does not acknowledge that Jesus Christ as the promised Messiah and who refused to believe that he's the true Messiah, he's not a true Jew. According to Romans 2, 28 and 29, for he is not a Jew who is outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, it means spiritually, and circumcision that is of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men but God. You know, Israel means governed by God, and a lot of the Jews were not governed by God, only by name. He said, they are a synagogue of Satan. So the apost apostate Jews in Smyrna were in reality 
instruments of the enemy and didn't even know it. Believe it or not, the church flourished during this time of persecution. Persecution has never destroyed the church. It only purified it. This church grew under persecution. Perhaps maybe we should pray for a little persecution today. Let's get an amen. I guess I won't. I guess I won't get no amen. <laughs> Many times I find myself complaining about the life of ease. I look at my house. I got food to eat. I got a roof over my head. I got a car. It's a used car, but it's a hunter. It's okay. It, it runs. And I find myself sometimes complaining about, and when I see my Jewish brothers that's suffering, like in Jerusalem and Israel, I'm thinking, what are you complaining about? Put yourself in their place, and then you have something to complain about. But right now, I really don't. This church was poor, didn't have much money, but they were rich in faith. And the church of the Laodiceans, we'll get there, Revelation 3.17, the Laodicean church, they had money, and Jesus said they were poor spiritually. Jesus said to the church of Laodicea, because you say I am rich and have become wealthy, you have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Hmm. But he said in verse 10, do not fear. I read someplace, I didn't count these, but the Bible mentions do not fear over 530 some times. Do not fear. Do not fear. So he's telling this church, do not fear to prepare them what they're about to go through. Do not fear the things which are about to, you're about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And you will have tribulation 10 days. Be faithful until death, until death and I will give you the crown of life. Hmm. But do not fear the things that's going to come upon you that you're going to suffer. You notice that he did not promise them that they would be exempt from suffering. But he's going to strengthen them through the suffering. He said, you guys are going to be tested. I think everyone's faith is going to be tested in these last days. Some people say, well, God tests our faith to show, show him how strong our faith is. Well, God already knows how strong your faith is because God knows everything. God tests your faith to show you how strong it is. Because sometimes you don't know until it's tested. That's why 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7, in this you greatly, you greatly rejoice that, that now for a little while, need be, you have been, been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold, that perishes. Though it is tested by fire, it may be found to the praise and honor and the glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The Christians of Smyrna had been slandered 
and would soon be imprisoned, though the influence of their city Jewish community, they would be persecuted by them. But he said, you be faithful. He said, if you die, you will receive the crown of life. The Jewish, the Jews of Samaria, Samaria, Smyrna reported Christians, the Jews would report Christians for refusing to, to take part in imperial worship. But he said it was so much wickedness in the synagogue of all places, he said it was a synagogue of Satan. Same thing shared by the church of Philadelphia. He said it was a synagogue of Satan. Jesus warned this church that they would be persecuted 10 days. He may have meant 10 actual days or a very short period of time. But he said the church would be persecuted. Some say that they would be persecuted by 10 different Roman, Roman emperors at that time. 10 Roman emperors would appear and each Roman emperor would persecute the church. In the book of the Fox's Book of Mortar, it says that 5,000 about five million Jews were martyred at this time. I don't know if you ever read the, the Fox's Book of Martyr, but it's pretty interesting. But this church was persecuted. Remember the word that I say to you, Jesus said in John 15, 20. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. The Bible said those that choose to live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Persecution, But he said in verse 12, blessed is the man, <clears throat> James said, anyway, James 1, 12, he said, blessed is the man who endure temptations, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. The crown of life was a victor's wreath, was a victor's crown. It was a crown for rewards. The devil going to throw you guys in jail. I mean, ready to go to jail. Raise your hand. Nobody. All right. He said he's going to throw you all in jail. That old slanderer is behind the persecutors. But Jesus said, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. But rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And that's God. He, he who has an ear, verse 11, let him hear. A spiritual ear. Let him hear what the spirit has to say to the churches. And he who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. See, it caused lack of popular belief it costs to be a Christian. It costs to be a dedicated Christian. In some places, Christians are persecuted more than others. But as the time ends, the pressure is going to increase. That's why the believer has to stand in unity. 
I'm amazed with all this pandemic stuff, how people have different, different disagreements, different disagreements on it. But everybody's entitled to their own opinion. I'm willing to take the wrong. I'm willing to say, you know, uh, if it's going to bring unity. Because Satan can never destroy a church unless he first causes disunity. He has to cause division. And as the day approaches, you're going to see more persecution, even of the believers. But it's time to stand and it's time to trust God and it's time to stand for faith. Some people say, well, maybe someday things will change. Maybe. Maybe not. We shall see. The enemy may kill the body, but the saint never needs to fear death. That second death he's talking about here is hell. They said those who are born twice will only die once. But those who are just born once, he's going to die twice. He said that second death is not going to hurt you if you're a believer. That second death is that eternal separation from God. That second death is used, Revelation 20, verse 6, Revelation 20, 14, Revelation 21, verse 8. It says, the, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the sexual immortals, sorcerers, adulterers, and all liars, shall have they part in the lake of fire, which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. He describes what it is, a lake of fire that all believer, unbelievers, that all unbelievers going to go to when they die. At the white throne judgment, the Bible said the books will be open. And anyone's name is not found in that book will be thrown into the lake of fire. That don't sound too good there. But he said, blessed. Uh, Revelation 20, verse six said, blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. That's us. Over these, the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. So. Believers and unbelievers are going to die if the Lord tarries. No, no question about it. And all will be resurrected. Some to the resurrection of life, some to the resurrection of damnation. Separated from God forever. Can you imagine? And like I said, a believer should never fear death because Jesus has conquered the death, the grave. Jesus conquered hell. You don't have to even worry about that. Never have I seen a Christian fear death. It's many of those who are asleep, Daniel 12, 2 and 3. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament. And those who turn 
Miniature righteousness like the stars forever and ever. You don't have to fear death because you know who you have believed and you've put your faith in Christ. This last church we'll cover here this morning is a church of Pergamos, Revelation 2, verses 12 through 17. Pergamos means citadel. It is the word from which we get parchments. And the city of Pergamum was built on a hill a thousand feet above uh, the surrounding seaside, a countryside. It created a beautiful natural fortress. It was a very sophisticated center in a center of Greek culture and education with a 200,000 volume library. Pergamum about 80 miles north of Ephesus was a political capital of Asia. It was famous for its library. It was given by Mark Anthony to, uh, it was given by Mark Anthony to, uh, to Cleopatra. The people of Pergamon may have been the first to use all these parchments, but it was also the center of cult worship and the worship of idols. In the city chief god was Antipas, whose symbol was like a serpent. And it was considered the god of healing. And people came to Pergamum from all over the world to get healing from this god. John described Pergamum as the Satan's throne. His History confirms that it was given over to adultery, emperor worship, more than any other city in Asia. This church had remained loyal to Christ, but was tolerating those who held the teaching of Balaam. You can read about him, Balaam, Numbers 22. And they held to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. The choice before them was simple, repent and enjoy life or persist tolerating this evil and face judgment. Verse 12, until the angel of a messenger of the pastor of this church in Pergamos write, these things says he who has a sharp two-edged sword is Jesus Christ. It's a symbol of judgment. Jesus is going to judge this church because it was a compromising church But God's word is going to judge it because God's word always has the final authority. Not my opinion. God's word can draw people in for those that want to hear it. And God's word can thin the crowd out. There was a time when everybody left Jesus standing there by himself. The church at Ephesus resisted they resisted false teaching. We said that last week. The church at Ephesus, they resisted false teaching. And Smyrna endured persecution. But Pergamos was doctrinally, doctrinally compromising. It was a compromising church. And any time a church compromises, it's going to lose its witness before the world. And God is always going to judge a compromising church. We are in the world, but not of the world. 
And when they look at us, they're supposed to see something different. Verse 13, I know your works and where you dwell. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. And you hold fast my name and did not deny my faith even in the days in which Antipas, which was my martyr, faithful martyr, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. I know your works. He keeps saying where Satan's throne is, implying that Satan's authority and power was there. It was the official center of emperor worship. It was a devil's headquarters. Even where Satan is seated, he said, it was a special place of wickedness. Just as if Satan was sitting there himself. Satan is always want to infiltrate but the influence of Satan of Satan was there the worship of emperor as a god was strongly emphasized and even required in a province of Asia and it was a problem for the Christians Christian was not going to worship a man and Christians were not going to bow down to a man as he said the headquarters of Satanic opposition. It was much false religion there. Antipas, some say he was the pastor of the church and he was the first, uh, evidently the first Christian in Asia to be martyred for his faith. He would not renounce his faith. Why do you think John last week, we said a week before, was put on the island of Patmos? Because the Bible said because he preached the word. Tradition says Antipas was burned to death inside of a brass bull. We know that he did not compromise. He was faithful until death, and he died for his faith. However, there were some people in the church was tolerating the same thing that Christ taught against. Verse 14, but I have a few things against you. Because you have there, he said, you have there, right there, in the church, those who hold the doctrines of Balaam and taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things, sacrifice to idols, to commit sexual immorality. Thus also have, verse 15, thus also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which I hate. Hmm. They tolerated it. Stumbling block before the children of Israel, sacrifice, they were sacrificing thing to, uh, to idols, committing adultery. And they were also, he said, they were taking heed to the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. We said last week the word Nicolaitans means, Nicol means to conquer. It means to conquer the people. They wanted control over the people. It was a hierarchy, it was a dictatorship in the church. It was a religious dictatorship aligned. It was allowing Lula no freedom for its members. We mentioned that last Sunday in verse 6. Verse 6 said they, he hated the deeds of the Nicolaitans, we said last week. But now they embrace the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. A lot of the cults will do good deeds 
to suck you in to their religion, to suck you in to their cult. I have them knock on my door sometime and say, hey, can we cut your grass? I says, no, I'm capable of cutting my own grass. They said, well, do you know Jesus? I said, I sure do. Do you? They said, sure, of course we do. I said, well, which one? What do you mean? Because the same Jesus they preach and the same Jesus we preach is two different Jesuses. So we have to, when people say they believe in Jesus, you got to say, really? Jesus? The one that died for your sin, son of God? They'll say he's the son of God. But they say he was created. So this church, he told me in verse 16 to repent or else I will come to you quickly and I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He, in other words, this is judgment. They were tolerating the teaching of Baal in the church and Balaam in the church. You can read it in Numbers 22, Jude 11. Jude talks about it. But the choice was simple from the church to do is to repent because if you persist in tolerating evil inside the church of all places, like the, like the Corinthian church, they tolerated the sin in the church, 1 Corinthians 5, when the guy was sleeping with his father's wife and everybody knew about it and nobody done nothing about it. Paul said he had to judge them people. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. See, if, if, you allow, if you allow sin to come into the church, Paul said a little leaven leavens the whole lump and it will spread like wildfire. So when I see church, when I see sin coming into the church, the first thing goes to my mind as a pastor is where's that pastor? Where's that shepherd? Is he blind? Don't he watch his flock? Isn't he paying attention? Or he just walking in and going, oh, da, 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 another Sunday. No, sin is trying to come into the church. The shepherd's supposed to kick it out. It don't matter how big the church is. I'd rather have five people that love Christ and walking in unity than have 5,000 where there's sin all over the church, where there's division, disunity. Who needs that, man? Time is short. Christ is coming. The rapture could happen any time. Some of this stuff we got to lay aside and focus on what is really important. Anyway, this was a worldly church. They heeded false doctrine. The theology of Balaam. Remember Balaam, he had a smart donkey. The donkey was smarter than he was. How sad to be famous because of one's donkey. That donkey was so smart, it, it could out-talk Balaam. What was the doctrine Balaam taught to Balak? First to eat things, sacrifice to idols, and commit fornication. Balak had had Balaam to curse Israel, and Balaam tried to do it, but he couldn't curse him. He said, I can't curse what God has blessed. Couldn't do it. Listen, can't nobody put a curse on you as a believer? You know that? You got the Holy Spirit inside of you. I've had people say, since I've been pastoring, they're going to put a curse on me. I'm thinking, no, you can't. Well, I'm going to call down the curses. Okay, we'll do it then. Right now. 
If you're so big and bad, you can put a curse on me. Do it right now. Couldn't do it. Satan wants us to be afraid of him. Satan is sowing fear everywhere. I went to the store last week and looked in people's eyes and all I could see was fear. I'm thinking, whatever his tactic is, it's working. Come on, Christian. Don't be discouraged, man. Christ could come right now. The rapture could happen right now. Right now. Every time I get down, I get discouraged, you know, I start thinking about heaven. And I said, one day, you will be all over, brother. No more mask, no more pandemics and all this stuff. But anyway, I'm almost closed here because my time's almost up. But listen, You can't allow something to come inside. He rebukes the church for tolerating those uh, like Balaam led the people astray. Compromising church. That even sounds bad, doesn't it? Because once a church loses its witness, you'll never get it back. Even the unbelievers watching. The world is looking for somebody to lead them. To help them. Ever since this pandemic started, I've seen tension even among believers. And I'm trying to quench it, man. I'm saying, you know what? Come on, guys. Come on, Christians. Don't play into Satan's hands. What about the love? What about the unity? They were tolerating and accepting false doctrine, immoral living, and Jesus rebuked them. He said, you better repent or someone will come to you and I'm going to judge you. Deception is Satan's key tool. Lies and deception. From the inside. This was happening from the inside. Which is most dangerous. Like Jews say, you know, he came in unaware from the end. When Satan comes inside and tries to destroy it, that's what is dangerous. That's why the pastor has to stop it. When someone comes in and try to cause division and Satan is using that person, I'm going to approach that person and say, hey, man, <laughs> you're causing division. If this, if this, if this continue, you're going to have to leave. An inside job. I look at our country and I see that our country is divided. And I'm thinking, Satan knows scripture, and he knows a house divided against itself cannot stand. Satan knows more scripture than you do. So what is he going to do? He's going to keep trying to bring division. The Democrats fighting against the Republicans, and independents fighting. Everybody's fighting. Oh, boy. Satan just laughing his head off, boy. But he's the author of it, and he's behind it. 
And the only way anybody can take America down is from the inside. And that's what they're trying to do. Take us down from the inside. No one can beat us if we unite. No one can beat us. But where there's division and, and people are fighting among themselves, we have just given the enemy a foothold. And that's why I'm trying to tell all my brothers and sisters, you know, you might not agree with my stance on a lot of things, but let's don't let it divide us. You might have a different take, a different opinion, but let's not let it divide us because that's exactly what Satan wants. But if we could stand together, even if the churches, I'm not even talking about Calvary Chapel. I'm talking about the body of Christ as a whole. If we could stand together, nobody could beat us. Nobody. So, brothers and sisters, when you see other people that might have a different take, a different opinion than you do, don't turn against them. Don't stop loving them. It's okay. It's gonna, God's going to work it out. But you still want to bring unity and you still want to show love because you don't want to be part of division. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit has to say to the churches. You know, God has a lot to say to the churches. But just one last thing. Verse 17, and I close with this. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit say to the churches. To him who overcome, I will give him some of the hidden manna to eat, and I will give him a white stone, and on that stone a new name, which written no one except him who receives it. I will give him hidden manna, that true spiritual food he's talking about, that nourishes the soul, the manna, uh, the manna that has been hidden away in heaven, that spiritual nourishment, you're going to receive that. As the Israelites travel, you know, toward the promised land, God provided manna from heaven. But Jesus is that spiritual bread, that nourishment, that satisfy, that satisfy your hunger. He said, I'll give him a white stone. You know, during ancient court trials, the juror would lay down a white stone to signify a decision of acquittal. So praise the Lord. He said, I'm going to give you a white stone. That means that you have been acquitted. That's what he's saying. He said, it was a token of favor. He said, you're going to get a new name. What do you think your new name is going to be in heaven? Well, you'll find it out when you get there. But what I've read, your new name is going to be according to your character. It's going to be according to who you are, your personality, your character. That name is going to fit who you are. I don't know what it's going to be. Right now, I don't care. When I get there, I'll find it out. But right now, I got stuff to do here now. I'm fighting that devil every day. What about you? Some people say, well, you know, God's on the throne 
and God's uh, uh, in control and I don't have to do anything. Well, you better learn how to fight. Paul told Timothy to fight the good fight of faith. We're not supposed to just sit here and put our heads in the sand and say nothing and do nothing. Don't think the church is weak because we're not weak. We got all the power we need right now to destroy that enemy and we got to use it. Put that full armor on, man, and don't take it off. And God will be with you. Father, we thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Make these things real in our heart, we pray, Lord. And we just pray you'd be glorified in all of us as we live here today. Give us opportunity to share your word with the unbeliever. We just thank you and we praise you. And we just pray that anyone here that does not know you as a personal Lord and Savior, that you would just draw them to you right now. There's anyone here that have not received Christ. Just raise your hand. Anybody here? Jesus said, unless a man is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Okay, well, God bless you guys. And Lord, we thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Let's all stand. God bless you guys. Stay in the word and we'll see you again next Sunday. God bless you. Have a good day.